Moose is on vacation, well-deserved vacation. Maggie's here. Robin Lundberg is alongside me. We are coming to you live. All Riley Auto Parts Studios. I already did that. I'll give him another one. Better parts, better prices every single day. Uh, just momentarily, we're going to be joined by Ricky Kleeman. She is a CBS legal analyst, CBS News. And I'm hearing that she is with us now. Of course, OJ Simpson granted parole on Thursday. Could be out as early as October first and Ricky thank you so much for joining this morning it's Maggie Gray Robin Lumberg with you now here's a first question I have is watching that parole board hearing obviously incredibly surreal for many of us for a lot of reasons but in terms of legally it, are our answers and responses to parole board members questions usually as long and drawn out as the ones that we saw OJ give on Thursday no um, <laughs> what happened with OJ Simpson I think to no one's surprised, particularly people who knew him in Los Angeles, including the LAPD, is that O.J. Simpson has a desperate need to self-justify. So when he was asked a very simple question, when you went into that room back in uh, 2007, what were you thinking? His response, instead of being, I wasn't thinking at all, I shouldn't have gone into that room, Instead, was a long, very rambling answer, which really was relitigating his entire case as to the robbery and kidnapping in Nevada. But you also have to remember, if I want to give you the other side, when you have prisoners who have been in prison as long as Simpson, which is almost nine years, they do have a need to talk. And so I think the parole board is more used to people having longer answers, perhaps not as long and such as blame the other guy as much as this one. Ricky, uh, when you're talking about OJ and, and watching that unfold live and seeing what, what the verdict eventually was, to me that, that means that was going to be the, the judgment almost regardless of what happened inside that room. But now OJ is on heavy probation, of course, what would be minor things or, or how clean does he have to live in order to uh, avoid going back to prison? O.J. Simpson is going to, in essence, have to lead the life of a monk. He is not going to be able to lead the normal life that you and I do. Um, they are very clear with him at that probation hearing when they came back at the end and rendered their, excuse me, parole hearing, when they rendered their decision, which was to grant him parole for to nothing. They said, look, we have consistency, and that also means consistency when it comes to violators. So O.J. Simpson will likely go to Florida to do his probation. I see no reason why under the law called the Interstate Compact he would not be transferred to Florida. He will have a parole officer. Depending on how strict that parole officer is will also depend on how he behaves. So I... It's fine that he doesn't get to do alcohol, that he doesn't get to do drugs, that he can't associate with criminals. Those are not things that necessarily should concern O.J. Simpson or those close to him. The difficulty he's going to have is the violation of law. I grant you this. If he runs a stop sign, he is not going to be violated. But if he ran a stop sign and, heaven forbid, seriously injured and killed someone because he was recklessly driving, he's going back in. And what you have is a grid 
that the parole board used in order to score him and every other inmate about risk of reoffending. He scored very low. The lower you score, the lower the risk. But they also have a grid about violations. We're not looking for O.J. Simpson to go and commit a robbery or a kidnapping. He's not going to do that. The difficulty, I say, that he's going to have is that he has not been out for nine years. The cell phone, the iPhone, was invented ten years ago. There are going to be people who are going to go around him, want to take selfies with him, and want to get in his face. And I don't doubt that there are people who are going to try to provoke him. And if that's the case, a simple shove, um, that might you know, not even work in terms of his being okay. He may be violated, but definitely a punch. He's going back in. So he, I would say, if I were advising him, I'd get some security. Ricky Kleeman is our guest. She's a CBS News legal analyst. She's an author. Uh, joining us here on the Moose and Maggie show. It's really interesting. Obviously, O.J. Simpson, we know, has a temper. So short fuse could be could be baited into something. Uh, Ricky, I'm curious about O.J. potentially um, trying to get a money-making endeavor by doing something in the media. You know, his lawyer read a letter I don't know why he included that in the letter. Maybe it was calculated. Maybe OJ wants to put it out there that he's available for hire, although I'm not sure who would want to do that and what sponsor would want to be attached to OJ Simpson. But I know that the Goldman family and Brown family had sued him in civil court and they won. So if he does decide to make money on some endeavor, would that go directly to those two families or would he be able to keep it? He is not going to be able to keep it. You have to remember he can live just fine better than most of us. He has a uh, pension from the NFL. He has a pension uh, from the Screen Actors Guild. He has a private pension. Pensions cannot be attached when you owe a civil judgment. So he has plenty of money to live on. However, any money that he goes out, if he is gainfully employed, and by the way, his parole officer may decide he should be gainfully employed, but he is over 70, after all, and we don't necessarily put people uh, to work the way we would put a parolee who's 25 or 35 to work. But nevertheless, any amount of money that he starts to make, the Goldmans and the Brown Estates have the right to go after that money. And we used to call that in the law garnishing of wages. So the Goldmans um, have certainly... Uh, and the Brown Estate have certainly been out there saying in no uncertain terms, any dime you make, we're looking for $33.5 million judgment. Going back to the parole hearing itself, because I don't think most of us are avid parole hearing watchers, but because of uh, the O.J. Simpson case and, and how high profile it has been, a lot of people tuned in. And not only was his performance surreal, but a lot of everything else that went on I, I found to be surreal. So I, I'd like your insight on just how odd it was to see someone walk in with a Heisman shirt uh, like Bruce Fromong did, uh, the, the memorabilia dealer uh, who was the victim in the crime, or the, the chief's tie that was worn by the, the parole commissioner. I mean, has, has there ever been a spectacle like that? Well, I don't know that we ever get to see a spectacle like that. Um, you know, we certainly have known of cases, uh, particularly involving sports stars, 
where you wind up with um, people who are in the audience, uh, people who um, uh, come in even as potential jurors who may be wearing sports memorabilia, the most recent one being the first trial of Aaron Hernandez just outside of Boston. You had people with uh, those uh, New England Patriot shirts um, and his number, which is a bit bizarre. Here, um, I frankly, who, who think I'm a good observer, well, maybe not so much. I had missed the, the Chief's tie until I read it in the paper and went, how did I miss that? And that really was a miscalculation because it's so subject to scorn and ridicule. Um, in terms of Bruce Fromong, Bruce Fromong was the victim in this case. And what you have to remember is that both victims, the other victim, Mr. Beardsley, is deceased. They were friends of O.J. Simpson, which is also the tragedy and the stupidity of this case. They had, among other pieces of memorabilia of sports stars, they had O.J. Simpson's memorabilia. O.J. Simpson knew these people. He's been friends with Fromong for 27 years. They could have had a nice conversation and worked out uh, a transaction where O.J. could have gotten back his memorabilia. Uh, it was even testified to that in the parole hearing. But instead, uh, O.J. Simpson, uh, with some cohorts, went in, and the memorabilia ultimately is stolen with two of the cohorts having guns. So, Fromong, who is a victim, but nevertheless a friend of Simpson, and very loyal to Simpson, comes in showing his solidarity. And I think perhaps we can use the thought of it's being surreal, but I have to say it was very powerful when Fromong said that he was there, not because he was Simpson's friend, but he was there because it was the right thing to do, and that he only wanted Simpson to do one to three years for this crime instead of nine to 33. And he ended his testimony by saying, uh, if you call me to pick you up, if you want me to pick you up, he turns to him, and they both choked up by his saying, um, I'll be there for you, Juice. And it was the one time that Simpson really showed true emotion, and you could see that Fermont really loved this guy. So it was... Um, I don't know that I quite, quite go as far as surreal, but you have to remember how pathetic this crime was of a friend taking in armed people to rob a friend. Although you would know this, Ricky, criminals not usually the smartest of the bunch, right? I mean, that, they don't usually get the reputation for being the smartest of the people in our society. Uh, Ricky Kleeman, CBS News legal analyst, we appreciate your expertise and your perspective so much. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you. Anytime, and I hope no more sports people get in trouble, but yeah. undoubtedly they will.